You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right. Good morning. Um, thankful this morning to be able to bring the word to us and uh, excited to be able to get into the psalm and to be first on deck to get into the psalm together. Um, thankful for Adam's introduction there and some of the notes that he highlighted around the psalms for us. Uh, we are going to be looking at Psalm 34, so you may have heard of it before or even seen this quote around, taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's a, a portion of the psalm and kind of the title of the psalm. Um, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 34. We'll be looking at the psalm, obviously, but then uh, what's exciting about this psalm in particular that we'll notice is that there's a historical reference at the beginning of this psalm that gives us a little bit more understanding around how David came to these words. So you can also turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. And then additionally, there's more detail provided for us when one of the um, New Testament authors, uh, Peter, one of the disciples, actually references Psalm 34. So we kind of have multiple uh, ways to be able to glean from this passage this morning, a deeper understanding of what David is sharing in Psalm 34. So excited to look at that. A couple of other introductory notes here is that there are two main sections of Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10, is kind of the call to worship and testimony. And then the second half, uh, verses 11 through 22, is more of just a teaching component inside of Psalm 34 there. And then additionally, um, Psalm 34 is an acrostic, which means that it is uh, the first verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So for the readers of this psalm back in David's day, it would have made it a lot easier for them to memorize this psalm, to be able to actually recall it and take it with them, because, you know, there's this um, kind of pattern that it follows through. Obviously, today we won't, it won't be listed by our alphabet, um, but back then it would have been a helpful way, a tool in fact, for them to use to be able to, to, to reference back to this psalm. So I think there's only maybe one, uh, this is one of nine psalms that actually have a pattern like that tied to them. Um, so the, the key verse inside of Psalm 34, and one that we'll kind of hear echoed throughout our time today, is verse 19 here. You see, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So kind of a sobering first portion there around just the heaviness that believers will experience tied to affliction, but then also a promise that follows along with it, that there's deliverance in all of those difficult circumstances and all of those afflictions. So that's kind of the the mixture that David is sharing throughout Psalm 34, and that we'll see uh, with both Peter and his letter, uh, and then also for us today. So excited about that as we dig in. Our summary sentence for today, God's people will experience suffering in their lives, but their suffering is under the complete sovereign authority of God to demonstrate his unwavering goodness to his people through his provision, protection, and deliverance resulting in the praise and worship of his people. God's people will experience suffering in their lives, but their suffering is under the complete and sovereign authority of God to demonstrate his unwavering goodness to his people through his provision, protection, and deliverance, resulting in the praise and worship of his people. And for our kids, believers can praise God even when life is hard because God is good 
and in control. Um, so I'll go ahead and say that when it comes to suffering, I'm probably not the person who should talk or teach on suffering. Um, I'm not well acquainted with it, as many of you are here today. Uh, as we heard even through our prayer requests, there are some of you who would be much more uh, well-equipped to come up here and actually reference suffering and what it's like to go through suffering and to endure and to see God's goodness through suffering. So just, you know, please take note that I don't um, stand up here as someone who can attest to the weightiness of suffering. Uh, I will say, additionally, suffering can be a lot of different things. Um, in fact, it can be consequences tied to doing wrong, right? We could say that that is suffering. Um, suffering can be tied to just circumstances in our lives that are hard, that are tough, that we're out of control of them happening to us. Um, suffering can be tied to persecution, which is really what David is referencing here and what Peter will reference later, is suffering that we endure as believers that comes from other external um, audiences because of what we believe and because of our behavior um, and, and the truth that we speak. Um, so there's a couple of different versions of suffering here to kind of keep in mind. But what we'll see uh, in the psalm that David references is that the, the joy and the relief that we experience can be praised uh, at all times, can be enjoyed at, at all times because of the goodness of God. So regardless of where you find yourself and, and the type of suffering that you're enduring, the degree of suffering that you're going through, we're called to praise God at all times. So I um, wanted to give you that disclaimer there. Uh, I put in my notes here that suffering is a non-negotiable for the believer, which should be no surprise given that the suffering of our very own Savior um, and what he endured, that if we follow him, that we would also endure suffering. Uh, the trials we endure, the persecution we experience is being guided and used by God for his glory, because in the midst of the suffering of his children, he is proving himself faithful and loving over and over and over again, which gives us reason to praise him in the midst of those trials. Um, so I do think for us in our culture, and, and I'm kind of wrestling with this too, that in light especially of what we prayed for last Sunday, uh, as we prayed for the persecuted church, and we read through several very specific accounts of Christian believers around the world who are going through different types of persecution, very extreme forms of persecution, that given our own context, um, that we be aware of our inclination to, uh, to push against any type of persecution that we might experience. Um, I've, I wrote in my notes here, um, what if we as Americans or as Westerners rejoiced at the smallest sense of being mistreated for our faith? That's what we see the apostles do, uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 5. It says, they called in the apostles and they beat them and told them not to teach about Jesus anymore, and then they let them go. It says, the disciples left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Um, so we're so far removed from experiencing that level and that degree of persecution. Um, and our persecution probably more looks more like an odd look when we pray before we eat, when we go out, you know, to dinner somewhere. I mean, it, it, it's really that light in a lot of respects. But for some of us 
It can actually look more severe even in your workplace as you're treated differently um, or in your social groups as you, uh, like we looked at in First Peter, when you choose not to do the things that others are doing and they look down on you because of that. Um, when you hold to what you believe and that shows up in your outward actions and in your words, that inevitably, as Jesus taught us, we're going to be hated by the world. And so for us, that looks a lot lighter than it does for our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, but I hope for us that in the midst of experiencing um, freedom as a citizen, that we not leverage that same type of attitude when it comes to experiencing any degree of persecution. That at the first whiff of being treated badly for my faith, that I wouldn't you know, stand up in pride and arrogance and um, and seek to, to fight against that individual. Um, but that I would actually rejoice as the disciples did, that I was treated wrongly for what I believe, for who I believe on. Um, so keep that in mind, too, as we kind of go through uh, our, our um, text here today and as we look at what First Peter has to share. So a little bit of historical context. As I mentioned earlier, this psalm begins with kind of a, um, a, a note there around when David wrote this. So um, in 1 Samuel, kind of the uh, chapters 18 through 21, we see in David's life what happens between the time of uh, him being, you know, Saul's right-hand man, the king of Israel. David is not only, you know, um, Saul's kind of personal uh, musician, but he's also his general, like leading his armies and defeating his enemies for him on his behalf. And we see him go from that position to being kicked out of uh, the kingdom and being chased down by Saul himself. Saul becomes very um, just envious of David and doesn't like the reputation that David has over him and so seeks to take his life. This is, this is the account of Jonathan and David and their friendship um, and then eventually David is uh, exiled out of the kingdom. Um, so all that kind of happens in this context right here in between what we're, we're seeing. He eventually um, finds himself, and this is where the, the note comes from at the beginning of Psalm 34. He finds himself in the presence of the king of the, the Philistines, um, who he's killed, you know, thousands of their people. And when he's in the presence of the king, he starts to act like he's crazy. Um, so in an effort to try to save his own life, he pretends to just be insane in front of the king. Uh, the people are telling him that this is King David, or oh, sorry, he's not king of this, I'm, but that this is David, the person who's killed all these people. And the king's like, this looks like a crazy man, and I have enough crazy people. Um, can you get him out of here? And so they end up removing him. Um, and so David leaves there from being in the presence of the king of the Philistines and then ends up hiding out in a cave kind of in between the Philistines and where um, Saul is at the time. So he's hiding out in this cave. Um, so his circumstances are very different than probably what you experienced last week. Um, you know, I don't recall any of us hiding out anywhere on the run from those who were trying to hunt us down and kill us. So it's hard for us to kind of tie our minds to, him, to his circumstances. Um, but I do think it's easy for us to identify with what David is feeling here. So there's a lot of uncertainty, right? In the matter of probably only a month, maybe, he's gone from being in the courts of the king of Israel and being his right-hand man to being in the courts of the enemy 
and now hiding out in a cave somewhere. So a lot of uncertainty in his life uh, from what he's going through. He's feeling betrayed. So he served the king faithfully, and now the king is trying to kill him. So he's feeling betrayed. Um, he's feeling vulnerable and defenseless. He doesn't have his large armies anymore. He's feeling insecure, anxious, lost, and ashamed. And I think for a lot of us here today, those are at least feelings that we felt you know, somewhat recently, right? Being uh, uncertain, feeling betrayed or vulnerable, defenseless. Um, and so I want, you to kind, I want you to take time as we walk through this to put yourself in David's position in that regard of what he was feeling and where you may be. Um, a lot of us in the last uh, year or two have felt a lot of uncertainty and, and, and even just the, uh, whether it's related to our work, uh, whether it's related to our family and losing loved ones, just not sure uh, what is in store from week to week even. Um, we've had friends and family member who have gone from uh, being perfectly normal to um, to passing away, um, we've gone from jobs that feel very secure um, to jobs that are now up in the air. Maybe you've even lost a job um, from um, just just a lot of weightiness and insecurity that we are experiencing right now, both individually as families as a society. Um, and so, I hope that in that regard, you can identify yourself with David and what he's sharing uh, in Psalm 34. One additional kind of input for us here is David's audience when he writes this psalm. So I thought that this was fascinating. If you read past the account that's referenced in Psalm 34, you'll see kind of who is with David when he writes this psalm. So in um, 1 Samuel 22, the first verse is there. It says, David departed from there, talking about where he was with the, the king of the Philistines, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everyone, it says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul or discontent gathered to him. And he became the commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So imagine you're David, you've got all these circumstances going on in your own life, and you're in a cave hiding out because you're afraid somebody's going to find you and kill you, And then 400 men who are also discontent, who are also in debt, who are also who also have all these issues going on. They decide to come and join you. So at this point, this thing could take a a serious turn for the worse. It could become just a huge pity party where we just all complain about all the bad things that are going on in life. Uh, We could just become this big group of whiny individuals who, you know, um, can't really do anything about our circumstances, but want to just. Uh, enjoy being uh, upset about them all together, or David can turn this for good based on the truth that he knows about God's goodness. And that's the setting uh, where Dave kinda, David kind of gets set in to, to, um, to put down this psalm. And now it starts to click for me even why he made this an acrostic, something that can be memorized, um, because he wanted those people who were with him to be able to take this with them wherever they were. These 400 men who were feeling the same things he was, he wanted them to be able to take the truth of this psalm to carry it with them in light of their circumstances. So um, that was a a piece for me that I felt like was just even more informative around 
why David chooses the, the words that he does when it comes to Psalm 34. Um, so with all that introduction, let's read through Psalm 34 together. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Throughout the psalm, David speaks truth to this group of followers about their circumstances and about how they should respond and how it's all based on God's goodness towards them. Um, so again, imagine they're in this cave together. Um, there's no lights because you're in a cave. Um, but there's 400 at least of these people in here, if not more, with women and children. Um, they're all coming from different situations and backgrounds. David himself coming from some very difficult circumstances. And these are the words that he crafts for them to sing together in this cave, for them to proclaim the reality of what they're experiencing, right? He doesn't brush over the affliction, but the reality of what they're going through partnered with the goodness of God, resulting in God's praise together. He is helping to direct their hearts in light of their circumstances to help, uh, to help them understand the truth and the reality of God's goodness, calling them to taste and see that the Lord is good, um, calling them to praise God at all times in the midst of what they're going through, that, that they're heard and that they're seen together. Um, so we're going to look specifically at how David describes God's people throughout the psalm here together. So number one, God's people are those who trust the Lord, are those who trust the Lord. Verses 5 and 10 say they look to him, they seek him. So they don't lean on themselves, but they depend on him. They don't rely on circumstances going their way. 
They rely on him and his goodness. So they look to him, they seek him. Uh, God's people are those who trust the Lord and they fear him. Verses 7 and 9 refer to um, God's people fearing him. They respect and honor him with awe-inspired reverence and worship him with obedience. So God's people are those who trust the Lord. They fear him. And then thirdly, they take refuge in him. Verse 8, they go to him for safety and security. He is their source of safety and security. One commentator uh, that I read said, Refuge with the Lord in the midst of danger. Refuge in the Lord in the midst of danger is far better than the comfort of safety without him. Refuge with the Lord in the midst of danger is far better than the comfort of safety without him. He is the differentiator there. That in the midst of, uh, of trials and suffering, um, that we trust on him for that safety, for that refuge. Uh, we fear him. We run to him. Um, so God's people are those uh, who trust the Lord. Secondly, God's people are those who reflect the Lord. Um, so verse 13 says, they keep their tongue from evil. So they use their words for good and not evil. Uh, verse 13 also says, they keep their lips from speaking deceit. They speak truth, not spreading lies. Uh, verse 14, they turn away from evil and do good, reflecting the Lord, actively choosing to turn from, from what's wrong to do what's right. And then they reflect the Lord by seeking peace and pursuing it. So they protect their relationships through forgiveness with each other. This is similar to what we saw uh, at the end of Ephesians together recently. So we're going to divert for a moment because this is the section that Peter refers to in his letter um, to the believers that he writes to. Um, so what's obvious about Peter's letter um, and if you want to turn to 1 Peter um, 2 and 3, you can. Um, what's obvious is that Psalm 34 was something was a psalm that Peter was very familiar with. Um, because as he's writing, you can kind of see how the Lord used this psalm um, and the way that he is approaching his letter eventually results in him just directly quoting from Psalm 34, which I think is fascinating. That we can read and study Psalm 34... And so did Peter. And, and Peter actually uses it in a letter to believers. Um, so that to me, that, that we are in the same position as uh, the early church in studying the word, in um, studying psalms together, is pretty fascinating. So as we continue to journey through psalms together, just keep that in mind that um, that these psalms aren't just something that were put together and written so that we could look at them now for thousands of years. Believers have been looking upon them and studying them and going to them for a source of, of truth and, um, and renewal in the midst of their circumstances that they're dealing with. All right, so um, 
Peter is writing uh, in his circumstance. So for the believers that he's writing to, if you're if you remember, so we've been looking at this in our D groups together. If you remember the circumstances that these believers are in, this isn't quite yet to the severe persecution that they're going to experience when Nero goes on a tear um, and and is persecuting Christians, um, you know, kind of right and left here. But at this time when Peter writes, they're being insulted, maligned, they're regularly slandered, they're looked down upon in society. Um, so for us today, this is actually probably... Easy for us, easier for us to connect to than what David was going through. Um, that in your uh, workplaces or um, you know, you know, in school, wherever you are, to be actually um, insulted or slandered for what you believe is something that we can uh, actually kind of uh, identify with. Some of you may have recently even experienced that. So. Um, Peter, as he's writing, uh, if you want to, again, turn to 1 Peter, at the end of chapter 2, he tells these believers, he says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again. Uh, And then that's when he begins to start recalling Psalm 34 uh, in chapter 2. He says, So put away all malice, all deceit, uh, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, which sounds very similar to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He continues, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So in essence, if you've experienced it, if you've tasted it, then you long for it. You know it's goodness, and it's the goodness of the Lord. He says, if you've tried it, if you're a believer and you've experienced the goodness of the Lord then you know that it's worth it. You know that it's good. So I think about it in terms of food, obviously, because, you know, David's using the reference to tasting. Um, And with Thanksgiving coming up soon, I'm sure many of you have your favorite kind of Thanksgiving dishes uh, that you look forward to. Uh, Maybe you're not a Thanksgiving person. Just imagine your favorite dish and how you choose to enjoy that favorite dessert or that favorite dish, right? It's not something that you... Um, just kind of try to blow through and be done with. But it's something that you slowly taste and enjoy. You may even close your eyes for a moment, right, as you're tasting it, as you're eating it. Um, and it's probably something, too, that you've tried to recommend to somebody else. Have you tried this? Have you tasted this? This is so good. Please, you have to try this, right? And that's what David and Peter are saying about the goodness of the Lord. Have you tasted it? Because if you have, you know how good it is to savor the goodness of the Lord. That, that, it, is, that it is pure, that it is rich, that it is full. Um, and that's why when David writes this in Psalm, he ends it with an exclamation point. He's so passionate about it. Um, so uh, kind of put yourself in that position of, uh, you know, Peter referencing an infant and, and milk, but for us it's, that tasting the goodness of the Lord in, in reference to, you know, kind of our favorite things to enjoy um, when we have special holidays or, or special treats. Um, so then Peter continues in his letter. So he just kind of referenced Psalm 34. Um, and he goes in First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. He's talking about servants here. 
He says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but now he starts to talk about persecution, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sit, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer, suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter goes so far to tell us that suffering for doing good is a gracious thing. That suffering for doing good is what we're called to in light of what Jesus experienced. Um, so kind of back to our context here today and experiencing persecution. In, uh, not surprisingly, as Jesus does, he flips suffering upside down. So instead of persecution being something that we try to stay away from like the plague, we actually, when faced with persecution for what we experience, we rejoice. This is a gracious thing that I would be treated like this because I'm a believer. That this is what I'm called to, to experience this because I'm a believer. It's not an option. It's not a choice. It's not something I should try to stay away from. I'm not going to... Um, you know, to, to behave that way, even though I should as a believer, or I'm not going to say these things uh, that are true because I'm a believer, because I don't want to be treated differently. But instead, it's what I'm called to. It's who I am and something that I should lean in towards and to embrace. Not in a hurtful, um, you know, uh, judgmental way, but in a way that's just me living out my faith and not being afraid to be treated differently or unjustly because of that. Um, because it's not for, for the believer, experiencing that for us is a reminder of Christ's sacrifice that resulted in victory for us. For the unbeliever, experiencing suffering is a foretaste of forever for them. And that God would use my suffering as a believer my unjust suffering as a believer, to point that unbeliever to the truth and reality of who he is is a, is a gracious thing. That my suffering could be used in that way is humbling. Um, and Lord willing, could be used to bring others into his kingdom as well. Uh, and that's what I um, will... We'll, uh, kind of point to here in just a minute as we kind of continue in First Peter. Uh, take a look, at, if you will, and this is where he kind of directly refers to Psalm 34 um, in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He says, Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you, for why you're acting so differently. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Peter drives home the point that our suffering is not about us. It is a medium that God uses in our lives to draw others in by faithfully and victoriously bringing his children through their suffering. Christ is our example to look to, the righteous suffering for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This is the very teaching that Jesus shares with us um, in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. Um, You don't have to turn there, but Jesus said, You've heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then in Luke, but uh, Jesus says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And and, uh, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. He says, but love your enemies and do good. Again, Jesus takes suffering and persecution and flips it upside down. Um, And so... For us today, we're being called to live in light of the reality of suffering and persecution, that it's not the end, that suffering and persecution are subject to God's authority and God's purposes, which gives us great freedom in welcoming persecution. And in fact, like the the disciples in rejoicing that we would even be considered uh, to be persecuted for his namesake. Um, So... Peter's calling his audience, these believers experiencing persecution, to reflect the Lord. Um, And then going back to David right here in Psalm 34, he says, God's people are those who need the Lord. Verse 17, uh, they're the ones who are helpless. They recognize their condition and cry out to God. They don't have it all together. Verse 18, they're, they're the brokenhearted. They suffer loss and pain and heartache. Verse 18 uh, as well, they're the crushed in spirit, remorseful, repentant, truly sorry for their sin. And verse 19, they're the afflicted, like we looked at earlier, troubled, distressed, and tormented. I put in my notes here, It's exactly in the face of these types of circumstances that the empty facade of worldly pleasures are laid to rest. And at the same time, the everlasting faithfulness and goodness of God is made tangible in our lives. When we recognize our helpless state, um, when we recognize our brokenheartedness, when we experience loss, when we 
recognize that we are the crushed in spirit, um, those who are repentant, um, when we recognize that we're the afflicted. That is when the emptiness of what the world has to offer to us, happiness in this and contentment in this fades away. But the glory of God's faithfulness in the midst of what we're going through shines even brighter, right? We taste his goodness more deeply. We taste the richness of his goodness in the midst of that reality. Um, so there's good news in the midst of uh, this hurt and this pain and this loss because scattered throughout the psalm, David describes God's people as those who are the Lord's. So all throughout Psalm 34, there's this reminder of good news. In verse 4, they are, the, they are delivered from all their fears. In verse 5, they are radiant and will never be ashamed. Verse 6, they are saved out of all their troubles. Verse 7, they're, they're protected. Verse 8, they are blessed. Verse 9, they are taken care of and have no lack. They are the Lord's. But the list continues. Verse 10, they're spoiled. They lack no good thing. Verse 15, they are seen and heard by the Lord. Verse 18, they are comforted. Verse 20, they are kept. Verse 22, they are redeemed and freed from condemnation. They are the Lord's. Which is why in the midst of all that they're experiencing and going through, you know, all this group of people who are discontent, who are in debt, who are coming in desperate need. David himself, in the midst of his circumstances, he can say with the group, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because in spite of everything that you're going through, all those circumstances, He is faithful. You are redeemed. You are delivered. You are protected. You are provided for. He is faithful. He is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, I wrote here just kind of thinking about everything that I've listed out um, there, that no one or nothing else can withstand the weight of all those expectations, of being everything that God is for his people except the Ancient of Days, the Alpha and Omega, the Good Shepherd, the Coming One, the Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords, the Lion and the Lamb, and the only one worthy to one day open the scrolls of the last days of this age and the first days of the age to come, Jesus Christ. Nothing else on that list can withstand the expectations except for him. There's no other source of security, of peace, of provision. There's no other way of redemption than Jesus Christ. And that is the goodness that Peter's calling his audience, those believers in the midst of what they're going through, to reflect on. That's what we get to reflect on today in the midst of the heaviness of everything that we're going through. And all the unknowns and uncertainties and how you feel vulnerable at times or lost that you are his, you belong to him, and you can rejoice with David in this way on a daily basis. 
This is why David can start the psalm with, I will bless the Lord at all times. That his praise shall continually be in my mouth. These are the words David's led to put together as he takes in both his circumstances and the Lord's goodness. The words that he and the rest of this group of of people in this cave can sing aloud inside this secluded cave. This is a psalm of victory in the midst of suffering, made possible through the victory that is secured in something, in someone, that all creation, and therefore all suffering, is subject to. Um, For our application today, just uh, three questions to think through in light of um, today's word in Psalm 34. The first one, am I faithfully reminding myself and others of God's faithfulness and goodness at all times? And this can look, you know, a couple different ways. It can look like truly just recalling God's goodness and faithfulness outright, but it can also look like something in a workplace where the boss, you know, says, hey, you have to do this. Like, what is my attitude and my posture in receiving that information from my boss and how I interact with my coworkers. Does it say the Lord is faithful and good at all times? Or does it look more like, why can't he do it the way we want to do it? Um, does it look more like, uh, I'm kind of tired of doing this this way, and you know what, let's just not do what he wants us to do. Uh, that's why when we look back at First Peter, he's, recall, he's recalling Psalm 34 in light of servants who have good bosses, but then also the ones that have bad bosses, right? That this has a direct connection to us in our workplaces um, as employees um, or as children in homes with parents as well. Um, So am I faithfully reminding myself and others of God's faithfulness and goodness at all times? Number two, what situations in my life is God calling me to trust and reflect him and not focus on how I might suffer for it? So back to that point around just this culture of comfort that we live in um, and how easy it is for us to kind of push off being persecuted by um, kind of the outward actions of how we might uh, handle a certain situation or just outright uh, sharing truth in in certain uh, circumstances as well. So uh, in in my life uh, where God's calling me to trust and reflect him, what am I focused on? My comfort Um, or his goodness. And then the last one is the suffering I'm experiencing a result of doing good or consequences of doing wrong, right? David isn't doing wrong. He's being hunted down because Saul is jealous. David is staying faithful to God, right? Um, Peter's letter to these believers, they're not being treated wrongly for doing wrong. They're being being treated wrongly because who they have believed on. Um, So, just a, a filter for us to use when it comes to enduring suffering. Am I suffering because I'm being disobedient? I'm not um, being a good citizen. Am I suffering because of, the, because of wrong that I'm doing? Or am I suffering because of just living out my faith um, in front of others? So just some, some questions, some application for us to think through, um, even something that um, for our families here, if you want to share these questions with, uh, with your kids to kind of talk through those, would encourage you uh, to do that as well. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Tyson and the group are going to come up. 
Father, we thank you so much for this word this morning. Um, thank you for everything that David experienced and for the circumstances that you guided in leading him up to, uh, to, to putting this psalm together. Um, thank you that even today we can relate to those same types of feelings in our own lives um, and all the uncertainty that we have um, in the midst of just uh, being vulnerable and not knowing what's next that we can rejoice, um, that at all times we can praise you. Uh, even in times when things are, are going well and, and persecution or suffering seems so light um, that we not become callous to those seasons, that we continue to, to praise you, that we continue to reflect upon this truth and these realities. Father, we thank you for how um, even the early church used this truth to persevere through very severe times of persecution. We want to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are continuing to experience persecution. For those we prayed for last week who are facing years of jail time. Um, for those who, are, um, who, were, were, who were not able to receive the medical attention that they needed so desperately because they were a Christian. Um, for those families who are being torn apart as loved ones are, are, are arrested or even worse, uh, whose lives are taken. Father, we pray for them to continue to persevere, to rejoice, uh, to recall your goodness, your faithfulness in the midst of those um, trials and, and situations. Father, thank you for just today that the Holy Spirit... Um, bringing to light areas in our own hearts and um, those areas where we need to, uh, to submit to you, um, to reflect you, to trust you more fully. Um, may we be faithful in those situations and those circumstances that you bring our way. Lord, we love you. Again, we thank you for today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.